Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and yes, even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, it's hard to believe this is our 49th episode, uh, which means our first one for the new year. I don't know, know if we need a spoiler alert for this, but the first one for the new year will be our 50th. So before we get to that, let's get through today's show. What's on your mind? Well, I figure we should start with what we have covered very closely over the last number of episodes, and that's kind of putting a bow on World Cup. On the pitch, in terms of the competition that we saw and the excitement of this, it was an absolutely joy to follow World Cup this year. I thought this final between Argentina and France, with Argentina coming on out on top and giving Messi his the one thing that he was lacking in his career, um, uh, a World Cup trophy. It was just absolutely it was absolute magic to watch that um, to watch that match. And and the numbers were good. Almost 26 million people watched the World Cup final on US TV and streaming um, across Fox and Telemundo and Peacock uh, and some other streaming services. It's a very, very impressive number. It was a little shy of the 2014 World Cup final uh, on ESPN and Univision, which featured Argentina, um, a younger Messi. Uh, uh, in Germany. So um, the the other piece of this story is, though, what will the legacy be? And as some of our guests have pointed out, particularly Chris Perlman several weeks ago, that World Cup being there did shine a light on some, some things. Uh, and I think overall, that ends up being a good thing. I personally was disappointed with the way that um, the head of FIFA, Johnny Infantino, uh, handled some of the things about protests. Not that he, I get why he didn't want to have protests regarding um, human rights, uh, regarding keeping stories out, regarding migrant workers. But I didn't like how he basically tried to make people, he, he, he to me, just towed the line too much of the hosts. He towed the line too much of the hosts, I thought. And I didn't think he needed to. I thought he overdid that. So uh, I, I do think it will end up being not a great mark for him, but the numbers in terms of money are unbelievable. And um, they, they raked in a lot of money, and the next four-year period, they expect to rake in one heck of a lot more. So from a financial standpoint, it was a huge, huge win. But just getting back to that final, I want to say one thing before I forget. I saw a tweet from Michael Wilbon, who's the great columnist from – um, Chicago, you know, from Chicago, but uh, from the Washington Post and obviously an ESPN personality as well, where he tweeted right after the match is saying, we're supposed to get excited about NFL games today after this, which I thought was great from a, an American reporter who obviously is, you know, you know, up to his eyeballs all the time in the NFL. Yeah, it was uh, what a what what a match to watch. Right. You thought for 80 minutes that Argentina was going to lift the trophy you know, 10 or 15 minutes after that. And then all of a sudden, France just came back. And, and you know, there, a lot's been said about, you know, Messi being the GOAT, um, but Mbappe sort of taking that team on his shoulders in the last 10 minutes of regulation time and then extra time. Uh, it was just, you know, the, it reminds me of that Who song, right? Meet the old new boss, same as the old boss. 
right? Sort of the passing of the torch. But um, I know we're going to be doing predictions later, but I predicted before the tournament started that it was going to it was going to go off without a hitch, and it did. And and so from a purely logistical standpoint, I don't think there were any issues that we saw here in the states, certainly with the broadcast and so forth. Um, you had some great upsets, right? Saudi Arabia beat Argentina in that opening match of the group stage. Uh, Japan winning. Um, so I think there was there was everything that you wanted as a soccer fan. Um, and now, if I'm Fox, I'm I'm licking my lips, waiting for next summer with the women, and then three years after that with the World Cup coming here to North America. Um, I think that the numbers at that point are going to dwarf um, what we saw. Would you say 26 million plus across all platforms? Right. I right. think those numbers are going to be dwarfed in four years. Well, it was just under, it was just under 26 million, but I, I do tend to agree. I think it will be stronger. Um, and it is interesting because there was a lot of you know talk about having to move to this time period, which is atypical, of course, for a World Cup. But I do think it benefits greatly uh, Fox and the uh, in the broadcasting here of the women's world cup and and i think probably will do worldwide as well you know, messi who's the talk is is that he is likely coming to mls uh to play for inter miami and we've had that talk about what that means in terms of getting players at the you know towards the end of their career Lionel messi played an amazing tournament and you mentioned that they the fact that argentina lost to saudi arabia in the group stage in the first match and then came back to win it that just shows you kind of how cool this tournament can be yeah but messi's play and he doesn't do what he used to do he doesn't run as much as he used to but he's still so freaking brilliant uh of a player but then you're right mbappe coming on just when the team needed it and playing as big as you could possibly play on that stage making sure he made his multiple uh, penalties that uh, that he had, including the first one in the in the shootout. It, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, just keep remark. in mind because by that point in the match, Giroud had been subbed out at the end of the first half. Uh, Griezmann had been su subbed out, right? So um, you know these are those were two great players throughout the tournament who weren't yeah. even on the pitch when when all that went down. Yeah, given Giroud's ability to get his head on the ball on crosses and corners, I was very surprised at that, but then I read some things later that seemed to make more sense, and it certainly gave a little more room for Mbappe to operate, and, and he did when he needed to. So, listen, it was awesome. I, I've said this to multiple people in a way. I just I feel sorry for people that just don't follow. I don't expect people here in the States to watch it as much as they watch the NFL or college football, for that matter, or pickleball. For instance, but um, oh, we sorry, sorry, that's me. You didn't say episode. it. You didn't say it. You haven't talked about it yet. That was me, man. Um, <laughs> but but not to appreciate at 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 least the World Cup level, but not understand the sport. And I, it was great because I had my my brothers and dad got on a thread and we were texting back and forth. And they were asking me a lot of questions about you know understanding offsides and you know and the and the stoppage time and stuff like that. And I was doing my best, and I'm no expert by by any means. But it was kind of fun having them interested enough to wanting um, to know those things. But I just feel sorry for people that don't follow it. You had a tweet, I think, recently of someone talking about how you can't end games and penalties and it's a horrible way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And you said something like, tell me you don't watch football, soccer 
other than every four years without telling me you don't watch soccer yeah. every four years. And I, I think that's so right. It's like, just get over it. If you don't think that was a, a, a an amazingly uh, interesting and exciting finish after the number of minutes that these these players played, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had another tweet during the tournament where I said that uh, Lionel Messi can do things that even his avatar in the yeah. FIFA game can't. And and our, one of our former guests, Marcelo Balboa, liked my tweet. So I got that going for me. By the way, congrats to uh, Marcelo. He mentioned, he goes, it would be kind of cool for a South American team to win. He was predicting Brazil, of course, as everybody was. So it wasn't, that wasn't a shot. But he is, you know, he has, uh, he's, he, his, his father was an immigrant from Argentina. So uh, he is, uh, uh, he is an Argentine American. And so for that, Marcelo, congrats on that, and I uh, hope you had a great tournament. But it was so great getting his perspective on this thing. We had so many great guests to talk about World Cup during during this run. I, I mean, I just feel so fortunate. Yeah, yeah, we did, we really did. And uh, there were, you know, talk about it being exciting for a South American country to win. There were five million people in the streets of Buenos Aires um, to to celebrate the return of the of the team. Five million people. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, and, and I will tell you this. So I, I had I had a commitment on Sunday morning that I could not get out of um, something with my church. So I recorded the match, turned off the phone and was able to actually watch the match without hearing anything. Right. So I, I, I lived it in the moment. But then I went back and I and I had recorded the jet game because I knew I wouldn't be able to watch the jet game live. Now, yes, it's the Jets and you can make jokes about the Jets and the, and the Lions game. But I've sped through that. You can get through a uh, an NFL game if you DVR it within you know forty minutes, right? And that's even going back to look at some of the other things. So, so I, I'm not comparing football to soccer in that one's better than the other, right? Because football will always be king in here in the United States. But I will take exception to your point of people saying that soccer is not exciting and fun to watch. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes it's fun and exciting for the reasons of the match on Sunday. And sometimes it's fun and exciting to watch because it becomes almost like a chess match and, and the players on the pitch become the, the pieces on the chessboard and the way they move the ball and, and tactically approach the game. So um, like you, I can't say in any way, shape or form not an expert. Um, but I think I've learned enough to really appreciate it. And, and I'll just say one last thing is, um, I remember sitting in a stadium in Frankfurt back in 2011 during the Women's World Cup and thinking to myself that over the last past 10 years, I had been more to more soccer matches than I had been to American baseball games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's I don't think the balance has shifted in the last 11 years. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. By the way, don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have any thoughts on uh, Emiliano Martinez, who won the Golden glove award for the best keeper in the tournament and his display after receiving the trophy or are you going to feign that you don't remember what happened uh, i'm going to feign that I, that I don't remember what happened so it was actually kind of a, i'm only going to mention this not because i want to you know give him any time but he, he did something really stupid he got the trophy and he decided to put it to his groin and you know act something out basically. But the funniest part to me was I had turned my head away from the TV at the moment. And I heard who I believe it was Clint Dempsey say, Oh no. Um, <laughs> and he goes, That's not a good look, but there was nothing. So I went back and, and rewound it. 
and just like, oh man, that, and he tried to come up with some like lame reason why he did it. But anyway, okay. Um, yeah. We'll we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, the the emotion of the moment, but um, yeah, you do stupid I, things sometimes in those moments. Yeah, I've done a lot of stupid things <laughs> in my life, but I don't know if I've ever pressed yeah. in something like that against my groin. Not that no. I've won, yeah, the Golden Glove Award, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, he had made some unbelievable saves in the penalty uh, shootout, so uh, yeah, I I definitely would have done something stupid. I'm pretty certain I wouldn't have done that. But yes. there's there's a good chance I would have done something pretty stupid. All right. Well, listen. We'll we'll let's put a bow as we said earlier on World Cup now. And uh, what's uh, what's big on your mind? Big announcement by the NCAA this week, right? Naming former Mar- uh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker their new president. And uh, interestingly, Charlie Baker is a former student athlete himself. Well, he's not really a former student athlete himself. He was a basketball player at Harvard, but. He has so is Lynn Sanity, man. Yes, yeah. He gave us memories to yes. to last a lunchtime, as they said in the Ruttles. Yeah, but I think it'll be interesting to have somebody with that, because you know historically, um, you know they have come out of academia, right? Uh, Miles Brand, uh, president of Indiana University, probably most famous for firing Bobby Knight. Um, who I thought was a tremendous leader. I, I enjoyed the time I got to speak, spend with Dr. Brand immensely when I when I was with AT and T and saw him. And most recently, Mark Emmert, who again came out of academia. Uh, so I think it'll be an interesting take. Now, um, we were talking about Twitter earlier. Darren Ravel tweeted, I think it was last week, that he didn't know if the NCAA would have a reason for existence in the next five to 10 years, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, but his point's well taken, but I think that quite possibly the NCAA's role could devolve into something, nothing more than putting on events, right? Which they do quite well, right? They put on 90 championships, everything from, you know, bowling and and volleyball to, to men's and women's basketball and everything in between. So it'll be interesting to see how, uh, Charlie Baker puts his mark on on the organization, how he makes it remain relevant. I think uh, the biggest thing that the NCAA has to do is they have to lead from the front, not from behind, which they have unfortunately done way too many times in the past, and it's, it has hurt them. So what are your thoughts on the hire? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a great hire. Um, we talked about this when the news broke that uh, Emmert was, was leaving. Um, and I think that was something that was, you know, pretty obvious was coming down that this was going to be a big hire and important one. And it took a while to search, you know, to land Baker. But we talked about what possibilities people were, you know, being mentioned, including some from the political world. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think the, I mean, he's an immensely popular governor, Republican of a, you know, a fairly blue state. Approval ratings apparently are great. So I do think he brings some of the savvy, political savvy, that they're going to need to deal with some of the issues facing. For instance, do they do they start trying to lead on NIL legislation, whether by state by state or whether nationally? Not so much to change what NIL is, but to try to get it a little more consistent state to state. 
uh, it could be some regulation and so forth place. I think he's going to have to put a lot of focus right away on not just the championships, as you pointed out, which I think will be important and that will continue to be a part of what they do, a big part of what they do, but really taking the reins back on the NCAA men's and women's tournaments uh, as they look to expand and keep at bay uh, some of the conference commissioners that basically are the ones controlling uh, football at this point and the college football playoff. I think the football ship has sailed. So the question is one of, of you know, regulation and rules and things like that, that they can uh, control. But I think his pedigree is such and the respect that people have for him and his ability to get some things done politically, including for the conferences, uh, will be one that uh, uh, everyone will be open. So I think he has a chance to make a difference. But yeah, I think it's going to be a different, I think he's got to set an agenda. Here are the things we're focused on, reset the mission, and just go out and do those things. So kind of taking a stroll from the back up to the front where they absolutely can lead and have the credibility to, or still have some degree of credibility to be able to lead. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But uh, again, I think you and I are in agreement. It was a very good hire by the NCAA. Those are our big things that we want to talk about. Let's do a couple quick hits. Quick hits. We're about to share some tidbits. Things that didn't make it on the main list. Doesn't mean we think they're not worth a sh. I'll kick it off. You know, one of the recurring characters on this show has been Daniel Snyder. <laughs> so, in our final show of this season one, uh, we will revisit the trials and tribulations of <laughs> Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders as Bank of America is looking to move forward with the process to put a sale offer in front of Snyder. There being a tipping point, not to mention Malcolm Gladwell, two episodes in a row, to kind of make it past the point of Snyder being able to hold on to a piece of this. Um, you know, So the, the sale and the, the thoughts are that the sale isn't going to be a partial sale and bringing in additional investors, but an outright sale of the team. However, there are some people, which I think is kind of funny, and I wouldn't be totally surprised, is that this whole thing is a uh, is a ruse, uh, and that and that the idea is to make the asking price so ridiculously outlandish that nothing comes back, and then he goes up. Oh, see, no no takers. I'm going to keep the team now. First of all, I'm not sure that could be the case because I think there's someone out there that would pay almost anything. The bigger um, fool theory, I like. Yeah. To call it. So right. So I, I don't think that's the case, but there is some talk about doing that. And if there was anyone that was going to play that game. You're even more cynical than I am <laughs> in this case. And I'm typically very cynical. Um, I don't know if that works for him, though, because he's had a devil of a time trying to find a home for the new stadium because he comes with so much baggage. And so I don't know if his if his continued ownership is a tenable position for the organization and but we'll see. I mean, listen, stranger things have happened. But I, I I do agree that if that is his strategy, it could backfire on him. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you. I, I think that the, the point that you made is that he's just not extracting the value keeping it anymore because he's not getting what he wants. With the turnover of the team, some of those things can happen. And therefore, that increases the value to him for the sale. Right. So uh, yeah. my first quick hit. Uh, congratulations to Reagan Carey and the owners in the Premier Hockey Federation, one of my former clients. They doubled their salary cap again, announced that next year the salary cap will go to $1.5 million per club, uh, keeping good on a promise that the owners made. Um, 
almost a year ago to really invest in the league. So um, I think that's great news for women's sports. You and I have both been very big proponents and champions of women's sports. So that's just another great story. What else do you have? Yeah. Um, NBA viewership down. You know, we talk a lot about the power of, uh, of live sport and how resilient it's been. And it is, it has been. And so television, small television dips, rating dips aren't necessarily the end of the world, as long as other things, uh, fan engagement and so forth are there. But the NBA has had a, a 2% dip heading into what the, what is really one of their big marquee days on the calendar, of course, is their slate of Christmas day games. Um, Games on ESPN, ABC, and TNT averaging uh, 1.55 million viewers, uh, which is uh, off slightly uh, from that point last season. So something to keep an eye on as we uh, as we head into the second part of the season. I- I'm not completely shocked by this at all, but when you start see- if you start seeing more steady steady drops and and that number saying getting more significant, then then you got to keep an eye on it. Yeah, you got some great stories, right? The Knicks, as as we record this, the Knicks have won seven in a row. The Nets, who seem to be in complete disarray at the beginning of the season, have won six in a row. Um, we just Z- need to talk about them, and that would have like done the reverse jinx. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Zion Williamson has come back, um, and the, the Pelicans are playing really well. You know, obviously, you have you know the the Lakers continue to be way down. Um, Anthony Davis now hurt. Uh, Steph Curry suffering from what appears to be this, the SI curse uh, winds up on the uh, cover of the magazine and then goes down with a shoulder injury. Um, but there's some great stories. And, and I think that's, you know, I wouldn't, I'm, and I'm sure that Mark Tatum and Adam Silver and the rest of the folks uh, in Olympic tower are not pushing the panic button yet. We'll see what happens on Christmas day. Um, if weather is supposed to be as bad as it is uh, forecast to be, uh, over this weekend, right? I think uh, maybe some people will not travel to see family and maybe stay home and maybe the maybe get really good ratings. We'll see. Yeah, like those that Thanksgiving Day for the NFL, which was uh, even better than normal, which it always is pretty good. Any any last uh, quick hit or two? Yeah, uh, kudos doesn't seem like the right word to use, but say to the NWSL and the Players Association. Um, they kept their word. They put out a, a report um, which uh, supported a lot of what Sally Yates' report did, but reported some new things as well. And I think the league, under the leadership of Jessica Berman, is now going to be able to re- uh, turn a page as they go into next season. Um, I, I, I read the report. I read reports of the report. Um, absolutely flabbergasted at some of the behavior of coaching staff, uh, team executives, U.S. soccer executives uh, in this whole matter. It was just, I I can't imagine a scenario in which anybody could think that that behavior was in any way acceptable. And it was, and it was, and, and the reason it became acceptable is because executives look the other way, right? When coaches were fired and then other teams would look at the coaches, they weren't able to get the information behind the reason for dismissal before. And it's just, so it was one of those situations in which the coaches and those people participating in that sort of uh, abhorrent behavior never saw consequences. So it emboldened them. Yeah. I listen, it's been a, it's been a huge year for, uh, 
women's sports overall, I think uh, women's soccer and some of the news that has taken place has just been big. And, and this situation with NWSL has just been um, pretty fascinating and a ton to learn out of this. And yes, again, kudos to them for uh, uh, sticking to their word on so. So, you know, just been impressed with the leadership and the short tenure of Jessica Berman. It's not just because we really want to get her on the show. I've just been really <laughs> impressed. So Yes, we, we would love to get her on the show because we are impressed. Uh, yeah. We're not saying we're impressed to get her on the show. <laughs> Anything else before or she we take knows. A, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Anything else before we take a quick break? No, let's take a break. All right. Okay, we have a special treat here. Normally, when we have a guest, which we don't today because it's the last episode of the season, and we wanted to talk about a different variety of things, we ask the guests, of course, as you loyal listeners know, uh, how they get their start in the business. At the very first show of the season back on January 15th, Tim asked me that question. We ran out of time for me to ask him that question. So we're going to take this opportunity to treat Tim as though he's a guest and ask him... Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? how important it was to you, David. You waited 11 months to ask me the question again. <laughs> think, about the, think about the importance of the last show of the, uh, of the year. As we said last week, the ultimate show of the year. Okay. And you get to cap it off with that. So well, that's the way see. I... That's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Well, let's see if I can keep it brief. So... I got out of school and like many people of my generation, I went to work on Wall Street and I hated it. And I hated it to the point where I thought anybody who said they liked their job was either crazy or lying. Um, and so I started to think about what I wanted to do. And and uh, I made the decision for the worst possible reason, right, which is because I love sports. So I went back to business school. I, qu I quit my job, went back to business school. Um, finished up my my requirements in my first year so i sort of had something to fall back on if i if i needed to and i spent the second year developing a business plan and taking entrepreneurship courses um got out of school during a recession had a had a great mentor um he was a ceo in residence they were called at columbia um who who gave me the advice to go work for a management consulting firm he said the skills that you will learn there you can use in virtually anything you do in your life going forward. And it was best piece of professional advice I ever got. So I took that job and nights and weekends and vacations, I worked on this business plan and it was for a, uh, a fantasy basketball camp. Remember fantasy sports camps were big. The baseball teams all had them back in the eighties and nineties. And, and so I came up with the idea for a fantasy basketball camp and I sold it into the university of North Carolina alumni association. It was a way that they wanted to get alumni back to campus at a non-traditional time of the year, you know, not homecoming or reunions. Um, and I did that, I did that event um, and it was successful by every measure, but one financially. Um, but uh, I learned a lot, learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about the event business. Um, and then uh, set about to go get a real job. And so I met a number of people and to this day, um, I will always be thankful for three people in particular, uh, four people in particular. One is Bryant McBride, 
who was an executive at the National Hockey League at that time, um, took my call, met with me, and actually led to the next gig that I got. Uh, David Newman, longtime executive with the New York Mets and uh, NFL, among other uh, ventures. Um, Peter Hughes, who you know um, from our time at SFX. Um, and, uh, Bryant introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Walter O'Hara and, uh, Walter has since passed away, but he was an executive at Allen and company. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a connector. That's what he did. He was very soft-spoken, but he connected people. And I would watch in great wonder how he was able to do that. And then, and I've tried to emulate him, but, but Bryant McBride introduced me to Walter. Walter was trying to raise money for his alma mater, All Hollows High School in Bronx, New York. And they were going to do it through a three-on-three basketball tournament, charity basketball tournament. So they hired me as the tournament director. Uh, We raised over $300,000 in the first year for a a Catholic high school in the Bronx. And through that, I met somebody by the name of Mark Dill Driscoll, who people in the event business know Dill. He is a legend. Um, He's still a good friend of mine to this day. And I remember meeting Dill and he said, so uh, where's your team who did this? And I go, team, what team? This was me. Uh, And uh, and he goes, you got to come in and see me. And so I went in to meet Dill. um, And and I'll end this story with um, with with uh, a very Dill like experience. So I go in to see Dill and and it's October. um, And uh, and he says, uh, he said, yeah, I'm not going to have anything till the end of the first quarter. And I'm thinking, geez, that's six months away, you know, five, six months away. And so we go on talking and about five or 10 minutes later, he goes, yeah, I might have something at the beginning of the first quarter. I said, okay. Yeah. And we talked for a few more minutes and he says, uh, I might have something, uh, I might have something right after Thanksgiving. I want you to keep in touch with me. I'm like, this is getting better, right? The, the timeline is shrinking. So it goes the other way, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, so he walks me out to the elevator and he pushes the button. And those of you who know Dill, he's, he's hyperactive. He can't stand still for even a moment. So we're waiting for the elevator to come. And thank God that elevator was slow because Dill was pacing around the lobby of Momentum's offices. He pokes his head into a conference room and a guy named Bill Meyer sitting there. And he says, Bill, do you still need help on that GM project? And Bill Meyer sort of gives that exasperated look. He's like, could I, could I ever? And so Dill turns to me, he goes, you got a job, come in Monday. And with that, the elevator door opens. And that's how I got my start. So had I, had that elevator been faster, I don't know what would have happened. That's kind of almost worthy of an entire show, similar to how I met your mother. I mean, that's good. (laughs) That's great. Listen, first of all, that's great that all that happened because you have been an absolute, um, I don't know what the right term is. You've, you've obviously been a star. You've been very, very accomplished, but it's, it's good that this happened because you have, you have at every stage of your career, you've uh, always done things right. And you've done things from a, from a point of strategy, but also a point of thoughtfulness. And so I'm really glad all that happened, Tim. Thank you. That's very (laughs) kind of you to say, I, I tell that story to my class every semester. Um, and I mean this sincerely, sincerely, I'm not being self-deprecating, that sometimes things in life just come down to sheer unadulterated luck. Um, and I, and I, uh, 
I knew a guy when I was in my teens working at a bar. His nickname was Sort because um, he had a he had a finger that he had lost in some sort of accident. It came to a point. That's why we called him Sword. But Sword was a bookie um, at the bar. And Sword used to say, I don't trust people who don't gamble. Because if you don't gamble, you never know when you're on a hot streak. So <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't gamble, but I do take chances. Right? Ah, man, that's great. Listen, appreciate you sharing all that. So why don't we try, why don't we do this? Let's look back at the first, the second episode of, this, of the year, our second episode. We made a few predictions and uh, we figured and we said at the time that we would look back at the end of the year to see if they were they were on or not. Um, so I went back and listened and I didn't necessarily think that we were probably as, if I'm being honest with myself, probably as bold as we could have been. We'll have to step that game up a little next uh, next year. But anyway, you talked about NIL. So, so how do you think that netted out? Well, since we don't want to have to have people go back and listen to that episode unless they choose to which we would love but uh, i think my prediction was that nil would become more normalized and again not a very bold prediction but i think i said it within the context of sort of the chicken littles who were saying that you know it was going to cause the demise of college athletics as we knew it um and it hasn't and i think there's been a lot of good that's come out of it i think if you you look back at one of our guests, Russ Spielman, right, who represents some athletes who've gotten NIL deals, he mentioned that, you know, one of the unforeseen circumstances where some of the athletes um, didn't realize things like, oh, wait, I don't just get to cash a check. I have to deliver um, services on behalf of this brand. Um, I, wait, I, I have to pay taxes on this. So I think there have been some some bumps in the road and some learnings. And I think I think if you look at what some of the brands have done, um, they took what I call a ready, shoot, aim approach. They wanted to be first to market or early to market and didn't really think strategically what it would mean to their business the same way they would have looked at other marketing initiatives. And I think, you know, brands are going to become more sophisticated in NIL um, as we go forward. So some of these, uh, the, the next generation of deals might be a little bit more sophisticated, might be a little bit more targeted, but I think overall it's been a net positive. It's been a net positive for the, um, you know, for the athletes, it's been net positive for the schools that these student athletes play for. And it's been a net positive for the brands. Now, what I will say, I want to go back to what you talked about earlier with Charlie Baker is I do believe that we need to make NIL rules and regulations um, consistent across states because it is going to have real implication uh, when it comes to the transfer portal, right? If you go to a state where there might be more restrictive um, rules and regulations in place as to what athletes can and can't do with NIL, as opposed to a state where um, there's less or fewer restrictions, that might have implications on the transfer portal. And the transfer portal is a whole separate situation um, that we could probably, you know, talk about in great length in a future right. episode. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I think overall what you said in, during that episode has absolutely played out. And you're right. People were like their hair was on fire over this or a lot of people were that it was going to be the end of everything as we know it. 
you're also right about the transfer portal probably being a, a bigger wild card on all of this, what that means in terms of what coaches have to prep for and so forth. So a lot of stuff still to be played out. Agree that uh, that that this will be something on Baker's list um, to try to solve for. And you uh, you made a prediction, right? You talked about streaming. How did how do you think that prediction went? Well, I think overall the you know streaming like NIL is is certainly here to stay. So my specific one was that Apple was going to get the MLB Friday Night package, which did happen. It wasn't the boldest of things, but um, it it led to. You know, I think some other things happening um, and, you know, later and this was kind of a surprise when Apple got the entire MLS package. Um, not just, you know, a certain piece of it, but they are the um, they are the carrier of of MLS moving forward. So I think that's big. The other thing that I predicted subsequent show like week after week was that Apple was going to get the um, NFL Sunday ticket. And that still has not been named. And when Apple Music got the NFL halftime show, we assumed it was just a matter of time before Apple would end up being announced. That still hasn't happened. There was some reporting that they were out of the competition and then counter-reporting saying that they were still very much in it. So we still don't know that. I'm shocked that that hasn't been named yet. Uh, maybe it'll be announced right before Super Bowl, and they're still trying to figure it out because I still I still think Apple's the right partner. The bigger prediction I made, which was that Apple would um, ultimately bring ESPN in, and that Disney would spin off ESPN. I don't feel that's as likely as I thought at the time. That was like a couple year down the road prediction anyway. But with Iger coming back at uh, at Disney and his love of ESPN and his relationships there, I'm not so sure that is anything they're in a rush to. Uh, um, to push off to uh, to another to a suitor, particularly Apple. So, but you know, we'll have to see. But I think that I think the fact that streaming and how it factors into deals with the big properties, as well as what it could mean for niche sports, is a story that we will continue to follow. Particularly given what's going on with regional sports nets and what ultimately happens with them, which will be a story we will obviously cover in 2023. So let's take a look now at what we thought were the biggest stories of the year, whether it was things that we covered a lot or just the the real big stories that came out uh, for 2022. Tim? You mean before the launch, besides the launch of this podcast? Well, yeah, I mean, that was obviously, that kind of just set the tone January 15th that it was going to be a a killer year for sports. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the crypto crash, specifically FTX going bankrupt and the implications it had for number of different properties, Major League Baseball, the venue in um, in Miami, um, their big esports deal. Um, I think it showed once again that sometimes when things appear too good to be true, that's the case. And I don't blame or think the sponsorship people at those and other organizations that sought out sponsorships from um, crypto companies, exchanges, and so forth, we're doing the wrong thing. But I do think that, you know, who is it who said history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, right? We've seen this before, right? Where organizations, companies in in certain industries um, come in boldly and flame out. And so I think that, 
that has a lot of implications. I, I, and it also negatively impacts tangential companies like blockchain companies like NFT or digital collectibles yeah. companies. Um, in full disclosure, you know, those of you know, I work for Sweet and NFT marketplace and, and uh, platform, but we do internally within Sweet remain very bullish on the digital collectibles category. Um, I think there are a lot of business cases to be made for blockchain technology going forward. I just don't know if there is a business case to be made for cryptocurrency right. going forward. Yeah. What about you? What's I think, well, voice? first of all, let, interestingly, our very first show, that was the first story we hit on uh, was was crypto because it was around the time of the uh, crypto.com arena taking over as the name for Staples Center. Uh, and then we talked about it on subsequent episodes about, you know, whether it was just a crazy category, which I think it proved to be. The one thing that you have to know in this industry, when one deal gets done, the pressure to take money from that category for other properties just amplifies. Um, so you, you, it's no surprise that it started kind of running like wildfire through. But uh, boy, you know, these these lessons sometimes... You learn them for a couple of years, but then something like this pops up. So, yeah, I do agree with you wholeheartedly about its potential damage on technologies that are that should be here to stay um, regarding, you know, blockchain in general and NFTs, et cetera. So, listen, I think that I think the Live Golf uh, PGA Tour um, battle war, whatever you call it, uh, was really a story that we didn't think was going to be a big story and it just became something almost all consuming. Um, it, it, it had all the drama that, a you know, that a regular good news story has, and it happened to be, uh, you know, around what most people would consider a pretty, you know, staid type of sport. I won't say boring because I think golf is a great sport, but it has that, you know, kind of reputation as, as not being the most uh, absolutely exciting. But it just kind of came on the scene with brash attitudes uh, and did disrupt. It, it, for all the negative you can say about Live, and there's a lot of negative you can say about Live Golf, um, it did disrupt and call and forced change. How that change manifests uh, in 2023 and beyond is still somewhat yet to be seen. Uh, but I think that there is going to be some um, you know, some, some things that will shake out. Uh, we've already had some executive turnover at live. Um, and there's a lot of kind of, uh, barking that doesn't seem to be backed by any, any fact. So, uh, so we shall see, but I think that was, to me, that was just such a huge sports business story for a lot of reasons during 2022. Absolutely. And we'll continue to be so, I think into 2023, um, now, how that story plays out remains to be seen. They have said that getting a media deal continues to be one of their highest priorities. Um, I just think it's poison here within um, within the U.S. You know, Fox has already said they won't do it. Um, you know, NBC, we had more Lazarus on, said they're loyal to the PGA Tour. I can't see CBS doing it. Um so we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with their antitrust suit against the PGA Tour, which probably won't even if it does go to trial, won't go to trial until 2024 at the earliest anyway. Right. So I think there are going to be a lot of things happen between now and then. Yeah, for sure. 
And then I think we can't not say that World Cup was a huge story, right? I mean, they they it just ended. It was it was massive on so many uh, on so many levels, and it capped the year with just some really great sport. So, so <laughs> I guess we'll edit that. yeah, <laughs> you go. <laughs> I, I I you had a great idea when you sent me sort of the run of show that you wanted to do for this episode, um, and you wanted to run through our guests, which I think is a fantastic idea. Should we go ahead and do that? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we, we started the year. Our first guest was Gary Placino, longtime industry stalwart and good friend to both of us, who coined the phrase little podcast, um, which I have worn as a chip on my shoulder for 47 subsequent episodes. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I'm looking down this list, but, th- you know, it just goes on from there, right? Chris Pepe from USOP. Um, was the next guest after that. Terry Lefton, who continues to be a big fan and supporter of the show. Um, Rainey Anderson from the NFL, um, a great get, right? One of the most senior executives in all of sports. Uh, and then we started baseball season unofficially with Clay Larashi from Tops, who opened up some cards um, yeah. on, on the episode. We then moved to Steve Jake Galletta, a mutual friend of uh, of both of ours, uh, president of 2311 Racing, arguably the team that gets the most attention in the NASCAR world right now. Uh, as we headed toward uh, toward uh, into basketball season in a big way, or when a lot of attention was on college basketball, Eric Oberman, uh, who leads the Naismith Award. Uh, we already mentioned Russ Spielman. Uh, a leading uh, marketing agent from GSE Worldwide who uh, who gave us some great insight. Uh, we then talked betting uh, with the CEO of Simple Bet and a longtime industry executive, Chris Bevilacqua. And then this is when the live discussion started with us. We had uh, PGA uh, Tour exec Norb Gambuza join us. And as you'll recall, Norb did not shy away no. from, from the questions we asked. Um, he, yeah. And then we had first of several go- uh, guests in the global football space. Dave Wright, longtime friend and, and uh, advisor to me uh, in my last business venture from U.S. soccer. Peter Fagan from the Milwaukee Bucks came on and I have to apologize to him because one of my first of many predictions that went awry, I said that the Bucks were going to repeat as NBA champions. I, uh, I apologize, Peter. Um, and then a dear, dear friend, um, Ty Timinia, former PHF, Premier Hockey Federation Commissioner, came on and talked about it. And then we had a very good friend of yours, a senior executive within the NBA, Kelly Flato, talking about um, her, her really broad remit uh, at the league. And then we celebrated Mental Health Month with uh, Siraj Bathea from the Manifest Company, who, who talked about mental wellness and centering oneself and being present and how we can do that. Um, some great, some great insights from Siraj. Yeah. Wake Forest grad too. Just thought I'd throw that in since you've <laughs> outnumbered me on that. We then had uh, a real industry legend, uh, someone that, uh, that, you know, Tim and I, you know, have probably looked up to since as long as we've been in this business, Donald Dell now of sport five, the first of two Mike McCann's the sponsorship uh, a sponsorship lead at uh, Amazon, Mike McCann, uh, was the first. Um, and then we had um, Chief Business Officer at the NHL, Keith Wachtel, join us for some great insight. Uh, then a good friend of Tim's, a NASCAR uh, 
analyst for NBC and former standout driver on the circuit, Jeff Burton. We then dove into a sport that uh, that Tim obviously loves and uh, I'm gaining appreciation for, uh, the head of U.S. lacrosse, uh, Mark Riccio, a guy who's doing a great job there at, uh, uh, at that NGP. You know, as we're reading through this list, David, it's just, it's incredible the quality of people who have agreed to come on the show. It's absolutely amazing. Kathy Engelbert, uh, WNBA commissioner, came came on, talked about the league's efforts to keep the pressure on the State Department to get Brittany Griner home, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Thankfully, Brittany is home with her family for Christmas this year. Rachel Jacobson, uh, former NBA executive, now the commissioner of the Drone Racing League, who's done tremendous things with that sport. Um, Joe Favorito. He's probably the only PR guy who doesn't need a PR guy, right? Because everybody knows him and likes him and respects him. Um, he was great. Um, we had Adam Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves, really creative marketer, came on. The first guest who actually sort of uh, edited our questions, right? For the better, <laughs> for the better. Um, and then we had Chris Schlosser, um, senior executive at Major League Soccer, talking about all the innovation that they're that they're uh, undertaking. And, and he talked about um, that Apple deal that you mentioned earlier. We did a couple of shows in a row trying to dive into the tech side of the business. First with Jed Korenthal of Phoenix, which is a um, basically a streaming vendor that delivers uh, sports and other uh, television images in absolute real time. Uh, and then we had uh, the founder uh, and CEO of the company that uh, Tim works for, Tom Mazone of Sweet, to, on the show uh, to really get a better understanding of the world of, uh, of NFTs and that they're a little more than what people think about them. We had a sponsorship masterclass, we felt, from Pam Batalis of Wells Fargo, who leads the sponsorship team there. And then just a really unique executive, the, the president of Chicago Fire FC, Ashwara uh, Glassman-Crean, who really shared some really interesting things about management style, I thought. One of the great sponsor brands, Visa, uh, we had Andrew Cohen on that really shared a lot of his uh, the, their brand's plans for World Cup, which was very fascinating. And then we had our second Mike McCann, uh, a lawyer, a sports attorney from uh, heading the sports practice at UNHL, or excuse me, University of New Hampshire Law School. Uh, we had some really great discussions with him about all of the you know, crazy legal stories going on in the sports world. And the list just goes on. So next we had George Pine, uh, founder and partner at Bruin Capital, talked about their investment style and and sort of um, talks about, you know, how important any new technology has to be to uh, improving the fan experience. And we were very fortunate to be on the air with George when he learned that his son Drew had been named starter starting quarterback for Notre Dame. That was pretty cool. And we had Stephen Chris for Campbell Snacks, who um, was one of two guests that I thought really sort of um, played along with with our nonsense. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, he did really say he was going to sponsor us, though. I thought we – I'm kind of surprised yeah. we haven't gotten an offer sheet yet, but hey, maybe that's coming. At the very least, he was going to send us some product. So, yeah. uh, and then we had uh, Mark Lazarus, right? chairman of NBC Universal, who was very gracious with his time. We've both known Mark for a long, long time. And then Steve Zen, who also was a very good sport uh, when we started getting a little bit goofy on this show. Um, just a reminder, S Steve Zen was one of the inspirations for my Nice Guy Awards on LinkedIn. 
Then we went with Dave Bilek, uh, founder of Rect Global, um, which was recently purchased by Infinite Reality. Great guest. And then it just kept rolling. We really had wanted to talk a lot about the college space because so many things going on. So we had uh, John Brody from uh, Learfield, uh, who is just doing some pretty cool things there with uh, with that company. And then we started a series of soccer shows uh, to focus on World Cup. The first, we had the head of global partnerships, Eduardo Solis, um, on. And just it was great to get that baseline set as we headed into World Cup time. And then we had a U.S. soccer legend and just had a blast talking to Marcelo Balboa. Uh, he was a really, really fun guest. I roped in Chris Perlman, who's the founder and uh, uh, CEO of Aggregate Sports. Um, he was over in Qatar and we decided to say we wanted to get some insight from what's going on on the ground and he agreed to be on the show. Uh, we then had uh, the good doctor, uh, Jonathan Jensen from UNC. Dr. J. Dr. J uh, from, uh, from University of North Carolina, uh, who is a sports uh, data expert. We got some really uh, great thinking on the model. And then last week, uh, just a fascinating and fun chat with Debbie Antonelli, basketball analyst for ESPN. And we talked about cause. We talked about hard work. And we obviously talked about college basketball as well. So it just absolutely has been uh, a, an amazing run of guests. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. So listen, I, I think we got to bring this show to a close, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, it's just what a year it's absolutely been, right? Uh, listening to all the guests that we were fortunate to have on this little podcast. Um, <laughs> It makes me proud to tell you the truth, Tim. So uh, listen, thank you for an incredible first season of Wait, What? Uh, and for all of you that took a little time every once in a while to listen to an episode, we just can't thank you enough. In the new year, we hope to continue bringing you something a little different from the normal sports business talk. And we sure hope you'll provide us with any thoughts and feedback by reaching out to us directly uh, or by engaging with us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. So listen, have an amazing holiday season, everyone, because you all deserve it. We will be back on January 10th to kick off season two. Until then, I'm DP. He's McGee, and we'll talk in the new year. Bye.